You're listening to the Bank Marketing Blogcast, brought to you by Mavis Agency. Welcome to the Mavis Agency Blogcast. This is a special bonus commentary on the blog, Unstoppable Goals, Immovable Customers. This is Josh Mabus. I wrote the piece. And joining me have two uh, great staff members, Kevin Tate, who's a writer, creative lead, veteran of the industry, not of the armed services, and and Robbie Richardson, a veteran of Mabus Agency, uh, long-tenured guy or art director, both great friends of mine, so I'm excited to talk to them about my favorite subject, something I wrote. <laughs> Thank well, you for laughing at that. It's hard to beat. It's hard to beat. This this is a well-turned piece, and it should be an interesting discussion. Well, you know, I, I saw this. Obviously, you need to read the piece before you listen to this or listen to our other blogcast. and I'm very glad to, to commit these to audio and our partner there. He makes listening to my own words interesting. I have to proof all those, and he does such a great job. I always want to write him an email afterwards and like, hey, you made my words sound really good. Like it, it sounds even better. The genesis of this piece, Morning Consult, that I that was on my radar before several years ago, uh, did a similar study to this outside of the ABA, but did a customer satisfaction during COVID survey, bank customer satisfaction. And the American Bankers Association, ABA, released this as part of their unconventional convention in 2020, as most of us did you know, trying to get get people together somehow virtually to discuss our industry. The basis of it was looking at the overall satisfaction of, of bank customers. And there were some specifics to COVID that we probably won't get into today because it is what it is. I mean, did you like COVID? No, it sucked. And it continues to suck. And no one would have guessed that would be the answer either. <laughs> well, you know, there, there's so much. I mean, it's almost a thing you can't talk about because it becomes incredibly politicize like someone well i thought we were flattening the curve and blah blah well well, if we would have actually maybe worn the mask i saw the other day that like australia has like 500 cases or 5,000 cases or something which i don't know it's a big desert island the politicizing of the COVID situation may be one of the great imponderables of all modern time. Well, like I think how it, it came to pass is just bizarre. I think it's why it's still here. I mean, I, I don't, I don't care if you agree or disagree with whatever, but it's a when something like wearing a mask is political. I think there's an issue that's not even logical anymore. But anyway, not not to get off on that trail. We've already made half the audience tune out because they might seemingly disagree with my position. Before we jump into any specific questions, um, so so this ABA study, the summation that I take away with my whatever unique brand of cynicism is that only 2% of people are ever looking to leave their bank because we know that people tend to leave banks when they're dissatis- very dissatisfied. So 1% of anyone is very dissatisfied with their bank and 1% is dissatisfied with the big group being the middle, um, I didn't put it in my piece. I think it's 58% were in the middle of like mediocrity, you know, mm-hmm. sort of satisfied. And I guess we could convert that. Probably but. not caring either way, honestly. I would say they think it's, I would bet if I could dive into however many heads they interviewed, it's you just think it's that way, um, which is not necessarily untrue. There are three big cores, another few that are, they have a lot of business. If you move from one bank to the other, you probably, 
have a very similar experience when you um, work with online banking and things like this. But yeah, I would assume that it's just meh, whatever that is. We, we've we joked about the overwhelm and underwhelm, but just whelmed. Mm-hmm. Did anything stick out to you guys? Um, I mean, I guess I'm the unfair interviewer. Tell, tell me how much you liked my piece that I wrote. Kevin's already started. So, Robbie, how much did you? Robbie also illustrated the piece. So, um, wonderful il- illustration. I enjoyed that part. Uh, that's always a great joy. Is but To me, the interest comes from how you pointed out the fact that solving a paradox requires unconventional thinking. And I I remember in elementary school, high school, when teachers would try to acquaint us with the notion of thinking outside the box, they would invariably give us some sort of test. Mm -hmm. And the first instruction would be to first read all the instructions. Right. And then it would be 68 more lines of specific things. One of them was always to stand up and say, I've read all the instructions. And then the the very last instruction was to write your name on the top of the paper and do nothing else. Right. And the point of it was to make you go through all of that exercise to, to make sure you've read all of the instructions. And that, to me, always sound, felt like it was it was an introduction to unconventional thinking. But to me, it's just an introduction to thinking. It's important to make sure you're engaging your brain at all times. There's some other little checks that teachers would give us where it was a paradox. It was it was some sort of test where you had to do something unexpected or not specifically promoted to, to solve the problem. And lots of classmates would act like you had cheated when you've solved this. And I think that mentality sticks with us to some extent when it comes to advertising or whatnot. But it's sort of like Hamilton and the Constitution, the things that the rules don't specifically prohibit, they allow. Right. As opposed to the other way around. And, and, and that's it. I mean, that, that was one of the, that's the important part of a paradox. They're generally all solvable. I mean, they're riddles. Right. I, I love that example. I remember that in either second or third grade doing that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't read all the instructions. <laughs> is the, is the, part of that's due to my nature of, of, um, We'll figure it out as we go, mm-hmm. but um, it's it's doing the thing that the, some of them are silly, right? Uh, that, that require a pun. There's a there's an app that's been heavily promoted, more so maybe a couple of years ago. That, and I don't even know if I can describe this in audio well, but it's all paradoxes, basically, or riddles. That is, find out which one of these people is a werewolf, and there's a photo of like or a, a cartoon of three men, and there's a sun in the background, and you don't. You're not explicitly told you can interact with every piece of the of the of the puzzle, and it's an app. So what you do is you grab the sun, you pull it down, and that makes it night. And then one of them turns into a werewolf. And there are ones that find find the blue thing or whatever, and it's just you're supposed to click on the word blue, not the actual blue. It's all these little riddles that are intrinsically unfair and a little stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I would say of just like that strange credulity to for this to be a solution to this but like you i mean i think lateral thinking i remember that these lateral thinking type exercises and i was that's just thinking otherwise you were blindly following the instructions and i think that's sort of the point i'm trying to get at here is uh one that there's very few people ever in play Mm -hmm. and we can either treat that at face value, like we have to solve this based on the understood rules, the Gordian knot. No one could untie it. Well, they didn't say you couldn't cut it. Right. 
and and once you've cut it, you one of the things about that story that I think never really gets talked about is the finality of Alexander's purported thing of cutting it is that rendered it like uh, like well, where's the guy that tied the knot? Like, well, the, it, it, you know what I'm saying? It was whether he won or not, he create he rendered a, a decision that could not then be undone it was impossible to to bring it back there's so, no control z for a cutoff knot yeah so it's just like well i mean even if you didn't agree with him solving it you're just kind of like well i mean we don't have any other options now i guess mm. you're the guy <laughs> so even finding those permanently breaking the thing so then it can't be unbroken may be a solution as well i like the way the blog encourages that sort of thinking and spark some ideas with me. I mean, it's you point out in the blog that only 2% of people are ever actually likely to be in play, and you can grow your own base of business by being the one bank that everybody else's departing 2% goes to. Yeah. So how would you achieve that? And also, if you could recruit your own 1% or 2% that are apt to leave, how would you do that? And it made me think of things like if you could craft a retention campaign that was not specifically branded retention. So if you have people who are apt to depart their bank for another, they're looking for another bank. What if the advertising that would be directed toward them to recruit them to another bank was actually from your bank that they're going to leave and they get to see the bank like a, a, a new first impression? Well, the bank I have, Bank X, it's actually not as bad as I thought because here's this and here's that. If they saw those ads not realizing that those were created for retention, that might be one way to solve that. The great thing about digital advertising is you can send those specifically to whoever you want. If we could send Bank X's retention ads to the people they're apt to leave and they saw them as this is what the bank actually is. That might be one interesting way to... to Just reminding them that at least you're at a good bank. Exactly. One of the things I noticed, because again, there was a similar study before this, Now I talk about it to people, and it was just like, well, it's just churned. 2% are going to leave, and I can only get 2%, so it's just a churn, so we'll keep... And, and this way, a lot of banks, if you ever look at the deposit report of a bank, you know, you see the churn, the attrition, the gain... And basically, banks have reconciled themselves to we're just going to lose as many. We need to outpace the loss a little bit. And this is sort of one of those, it's the way we've always done it things. But that shows this, I don't want to say a lack of lateral thinking because that sounds whatever, condescending to that group. But it's that approaching the problem head on. And that's the thing I was trying to break is like, well, yeah, that's sort of true, but that's not mathematically true. You're only going to lose your 2%. So let's say every 10 banks have 100 clients. You would lose two, and then the other nine will lose two. That means 18 are in play while exactly. you lose two. Yeah. Now, you can look at it as it's just a cycle that every bank's just trading the same customers equally and all of that, but that's not the case. All you have to do is win half the customers from half the banks. And you win mathematically. Your, your your number is greater. But again, why wouldn't you turn off the spigot the, or cover the drain, I guess, exactly. so to speak? And a certain number of people are always going to be upset. But I think it shows our tendency to fall into those traps of two minus two is zero. Well, no, it's it's actually 18 minus two. There, there are 16 net gain at any given time we could get in, in that weird. But I, I guess, you know, for me... This is one specific thing that was addressed in the blog. Do you guys have other thoughts, you know, outside of this? 
where where we sort of fall into these traps. Again, it's this we're a hammer and the world's a nail. Robbie, you have one? I think one of the main things, and, and we've been kind of talking around this for a while, but it's like you don't have to talk to one or everybody at once. You know, you don't have to market to everybody. So yeah, we think like, of it as the audience is the literal audience yeah. out in front of us. So send ads out that target the ones that are leaving. Send out ads out that target your customers to get them to stay. It's like, do everything. Right. Um, well, and that's the thing is, one of the statements I've said over and over is, why do we wait until we're desperate to act desperate? And and this is probably tells a little bit about my personality why when I found that, one that I, I started filling out everything uh, on that test. I think I've told you guys, I don't know if I've said it in this broadcast if anybody else has heard it, but my dad in his uh, training of me to become an employee. That was childhood for me was training to become an employee or maybe a boss. I don't know. And it was, son, what do you do when your boss tells you to start jumping? And I said, ask how high. And he said, no, you start jumping. He'll adjust your height as you go. Uh, <laughs> you know, you can't take some of those ingrained things out of your head, but but that seems to be how we um, – we approach this very literally. Let's just, why don't we just do everything that we can do as Robbie's saying. And again, it's, I think we write bank ads and, and I talk about this in the piece, but I think it's probably one of the biggest breakthroughs in thought that it's not that deep, but it's nevertheless insightful. When we looked up around here and said, wait, we're writing bank ads for like, Hey, and look, we have to have brand in place and all that. I completely know that and agree with it and all that. But we're just writing bank ads to say, hey, we're over here, not we're, we're over here and this is what we have when you're ready to leave your bank. Knowing that, that people are ready to leave, as, as Kevin said earlier, why not be the bank that everybody goes to when you leave, no matter which bank you leave? Um, and you don't have to mention names to do that, but when we're dealing in marginal returns – on big lifetime decisions. This isn't like selling Snickers or even Nikes, that things that wear out. Your bank can be your bank for life. There is no, you know, expiration on that. This to me is, is such an intriguing area because it's such a great opportunity to learn what's on people's minds. We often say you can learn a lot more from a failed experiment than from a successful one. And if there's some way to pump the information of why people are going to the trouble of leaving their bank from each departing person, to me, gold doesn't get much purer than that. The tremendous hassle of moving banks is not something that anybody undertakes lightly. So it has to be, as we say, pretty severe. We do everything we can with our switch kits to make it a simple process, but it's something that's going to drag on for a month plus, no matter how you attack it. And getting out of people while they would undergo all of that is it's a really neat thing to explore. Yeah, I guess my question would be what can banks do to learn exactly what customers are dissatisfied with and causing them to lead? You you have the small percentage that are extremely dissatisfied. It would be great if banks could tell them what is better at, at their bank, you know, for them to come. Yeah, I think mentioned two things here switch kit so the, so the moving in and then the the sort of exit interview that I think are underutilized at any bank but I'll start with the one that by underutilized I mean is none which is ex, the exit interview I'm sure I will be proven wrong and hopefully you'll contact me um, if, if I am but I don't know of a bank that does an exit interview it's just like you're gone I can't contact you 
I agree with Kevin and, and Robbie's assertion that, that that's gold. I mean, it, if you find out there's something that you just never expected that, that a group of people are mad about, we talk about efficiencies in banking all the time. Everybody's, you know, 70% of people are complaining that online banking has trouble logging in. Now, these are things that inside of a bank, it's like, but we really wouldn't change it. But, you know, it's, it's so hard, whatever. We're locked in with our core. We're on a seven-year contract. But if you find out that 70% of your people are leaving because of this thing, you at least know. But, I mean, we banks do get defeatist on this. Like, we're not going to change anyway, so there's no need to ask, and we can't find them. You know, I think about one time we we're, we're photographing a banker, a leader in a bank, and we agreed to photograph that banker, the CEO of this bank, in the lobby of the bank of headquarters. And the CEO walked downstairs and started looking around. I was like, why are we shooting here? And we're like, mm, you know, what we agreed to. You're, you're. What we found out as we explored it is that CEO hadn't been into the lobby. There was a, you know, the executive entrance, and he went up the stairs. He went to his desk and worked really hard every day, but he didn't have to go to that bank's lobby. And he hadn't seen the three, four-decade past decor that staff just assumed that well the ceo really likes it he's here every day and he's never told us to change it and he's never seen it but that enlightenment of him seeing it that one time guess what it got a remodel and i would say it doesn't have to take the ceo seeing it but the thing that you think might not happen may need to happen and and i'll say this and we're going to get much more aggressive in our language. We're doing some strange stuff to our economy right now. We're in a zero-rate environment. Uh, we're in a rate crunch. Banks are going to feel the manufacturing of money that we're doing right now. Thank God for relief through CARES Act and PPP and COVID. But, but we are literally creating inflation every day. I'm, that's not a political statement. That is a statement of fact. By creating money that did not exist, that is hyper-focused inflation. Something's going to happen. The number of community banks for the first time dropped, or the number of banks, sorry, registered banks, the FDIC, which is all, dropped below 5,000 for the first time. Banks are shrinking, 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 and consolidating. Or the number of banks are shrinking through, through consolidation. If we don't look at this and handle every little nook and cranny, but especially finding out why people are leaving, I'm sorry, I'm just trying to put a little bit of fuel to the fire mm -hmm. on what, what you're saying. I saw a credit union. There's a, a credit union in the footprint of a bank we serve that gives a – if you put a sticker on your car that, and they find you, they'll give you 100 bucks, like in cash. And so employees carry around a wad of cash. It's problematic from top to bottom. <laughs> and I'm like, why wouldn't you give $100? If you leave the bank, I'll give you $100 if you tell me why. Oh, yeah. It's worth it. Easily. So be the bank that makes it easiest to switch to. But yeah. Switch kits are like this kind of thing. And and look, we struggle with them too, but we struggle within the framework of a bank of like, if I started a bank today, I would one, be a hybrid physical digital bank. And I would try to balance both so I could get, you know, the most penetration. But I would have dedicated, like I would make the smoothest customer acquisition, which is switching banks process ever i would have a person assigned the easiest form to fill out the hand handest holdingest um thing you could do because oh a deposit customer they're worth this no they're worth everything that's the, the business owners could come over with their personal checking account you're going to get the boat loan the house loan and whatever if you have this robust 
nurturing plan, that's why we have this fi- you know foundation, attraction, onboarding, which this is what we're talking about, nurturing, cross-sell, and then retargeting them. Anyway, th- those two things I think are absolutely underutilized, and, and I can't give you a good reason why. They just are. It's a great question, and it's the kind of area where as you get into it, you, you recognize that someone moving banks has become willing to undergo the hassle of doing so. And as smoothly as it can be made to be, there's just an endless number of things that will play out slowly over time to to get your business completely moved over. So being able to ask a departed customer why they left in some way that you're likely to get a cool and effective response is definitely a paradigm worth creating, I would think. If there would be some way to talk to people and do their exit interview 30 days after they're gone, don't don't get them going out the door, but be able to find them somehow a month later and say, you were a customer for this long, what caused you to, to leave? And as you say, it's pay for it. Pay, pay $100 for 15 minutes of their time. You know, in the world of data gathering, I mean, it's it's sort of a, a value. You know, it's why are diamonds valuable? Well, they're, they're perceived scarcity. And then we find out that really there are plenty of diamonds. I mean, there's, you know, four jewelry stores in every mall. How, How were they, were they really they that rare? I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, it was just a, essentially a rock, yeah. you know, in the ground. I was like, oh, this thing right here now has value. A clear rock. Yeah. Talk about marketing. Um, this is like the other ones, but you can see through it. And if you shine it up, it, you know, a diamond may not be forever, but market manipulation certainly is. Yeah. So, I mean, we've got that going for us or against us, I guess, to give it value. But I mean, that's the thing is it's worth digging because the value is so great. I think you would have a hard time convincing people inside of a bank to give you $10,000 to go give away to customers who were not making any more money if you didn't have the plan to utilize that data to, I mean, which the worry is always, but what if they don't tell us anything valuable? And that's what shuts down. I mean, I don't know. And it's not even devil's advocate, but that's the thing that shuts down. What if the worst case scenario happens? And there are very few, I don't know if there's a devil's advocate. What would the angel, I guess the angel's advocate, I want to come up with a better word. Where's the person say, yeah, but what if the best thing happened? What if we found out something was absolutely wonder, you know, that's broken that we could fix tomorrow? That's the thing about this particular information is there's nothing about it that's not valuable. And if there would be a way to commit somebody's time uh, and $10,000 in $100 bills to spend two months going back and cherry-picking interviews with the people you lost just in the last quarter, let's say. You just talk to them about if you could suss out what actually started them thinking about leaving and what actually made them pull the trigger. That would be such a valuable piece of information to know. Absolutely. So as we look at this, those two things are you know, nigh insurmountable, I guess. I don't know. I mean, it, it's think high value, low feasibility, I guess, for a lot of banks. I mean, I hope that there's a bank that does that does that and lets us know or has done it and lets us know some big watershed changes. I think banks just look at themselves as that proverbial, you know, Titanic that can't turn. You know, um, it's tough, but everybody's just relegated to, I don't know, there's a, 
it's something like Family Guy or one of these things, just hyperbolic humor where it's just like the the thing's moving very, very slowly and there's this thing they're going to crash into. They're like, we're going to move? Let's move. Let, you know, and it's just like slowly encroaching upon the thing. That's to me sometimes what the industry feels like. And then we watch these upstarts come in and, and shift or disrupt. Taxi cabs like had it forever. And then Uber shows up and they're like, and then Uber struggled to get off the ground, and and everybody's still in the cab industry. Like, I don't, what what's it was a slow. It's the slowest. That's not disruption. That is, hey, we're gonna come take all your business if you don't change next week. Hey, we're gonna come take all your business if you don't change. And they like gave them the formula in the form of videos and press releases and all this stuff. And they're like, nah, nah. And then like, oh. 18 months later, this is starting to hurt. This is sort of the, the pain of banks. So that know, knowing that, knowing that it's difficult, let's talk about messaging, which is easier to change. I mean, banks are putting out ads today that are probably, that's one statement. And then also that might not be as effective as they could be because it's, they're brand ads that are leaning towards transition or, or acquisition. You know, Capital One, Mr. Big Hands with the five, you know, he, he comes out with five, he's got the mitts. You know, if you like a cafe, maybe you want to go to Capital One. Really strangely, there are bank, smaller community banks that tried this years before Capital One did that failed. Uh, there's one in Atlanta that um, family-owned bank, community bank, and then the uh, uh, son went over and like had this idea, which I think is innovative and I think good at face value. But what you find out is, what does the customer want? I don't want a barista doing my loan. <laughs> the casual nature of a coffee shop is difficult to be serious. Their optics matter. Environment matters. And then just things like privacy, doing your deal at a table. And I think bankers forget the catharsis of, of the customer getting a loan and things like that, that it is tough on the customer side. But anyway, as we look at this, besides things like we have this thing that they don't have, do you guys have any ideas of how banks can message to that person, that 2% looking to move and capitalize off of them. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting. It's like for the customers that are dissatisfied that aren't that aren't budging, it's like to be able to tell them that this, the process is going to be so easy that in two weeks they won't remember switching, but they will have a much easier life. To me, it all does point back toward that gold data that we would so love to gather. One of the great fallacies in marketing anything is when we're marketing a good or service that we ourselves use, the trap we fall into is assuming we are the customer. And so creating ads that would attract us personally, as opposed to working from actual data of what customers at large really do want. When we begin to assume that the customer is us and the message should be a message that moves us personally, then we fall into the trap where all the ads come to look the same and there is no innovative thinking. Well, not only that, but I mean, I've said this before that I don't know what the threshold is, but in working in a bank, I mean, one of the things we do is set ourselves aside. I mean, I think in Mabus Agency specifically, I don't think I've heard, I'd buy that, you know, or I'd, I, it doesn't matter if we would or not. It's fine, you know, if you would, I would go to that bank or whatever, but there's this tendency to, well, I'm a consumer, so I know marketing, which is one trap. But then when you've been working in a bank or at a bank for, I don't know, we need to determine the threshold, you become more unqualified 
to speak about it because you almost know too much about it. And the things that you value as a banker aren't necessarily the thing the customers value. It's funny, we um, I've told this story in, in different venues, but I'm shooting TV commercials for a bank and, and highlighting these, you know, we want to highlight good-looking dynamic businesses or whatever. And you ask a banker, like, hey, where's someone that would be great to photograph? It's going to be a photogenic, you know, business owner would give a good interview, and they start looking at the at, at the financial report. Like this is a really good client. They have six million dollars in deposits, and they're never late. And this, uh, well, what about this? Um, uh, this happened in in a in a town we were shooting, and we had just shot one of the worst interviews locations. It was bad. They're a really good client. Nothing wrong with them. Just not made for TV. And we're driving through this downtown cute kitschy area and there was this used furniture store mid-century modern beautiful for me subjectively furniture and the the banker was in the car with us and said they're a customer and it would have been beautiful to shoot at we went into the store because we were eating in this area and the person had the biggest personality well, and I said, well, why didn't we interview them? Ah, oh, they've just got like, you know, their their operation, like deposit account, operations accounts, all the business we've got. It's like, still a customer showing the bankers think like bankers. And that's not a bad thing. That's their, that's your job as a banker to do that. Thank God for you, because I can't. But plugging in that other side, that shows you're, you're uniquely unqualified maybe to make the messaging or, the, or to listen you know, this is dangerous territory marketing director to say not to listen. Listen, but process. And I'm speaking to marketing director to, to the other bankers. that they, they, they have your lines of business leaders. They certainly have insights, but you have to pr- help them process and plug into that, into that process to bring value. Otherwise, we'll just, you know, think like bankers all the time. And as, as Kevin pointed out, it the destination is homogeny and nothing different from anybody else because we still generally are alike. This is a chance to zig when everybody else is zagging. I think it's incumbent upon us to force ourselves to create a method by which we clear the mechanism for ourselves and see our banks or our clients as being viewed by someone for the first time or someone from the outside. And that's lazy. It's lazy thinking not to, but it's the sort of lazy thinking that we may not be aware is lazy thinking. Because it's a paradox. It's we- a paradox. We, you, It's hard to make a point to step outside of our own box and look at our bank or our business as it would be seen by someone who knew about it only what they could glean from the sign on the outside which is what 67 percent of banks is the same generally name wise exactly as somebody else my parting thought and i'll give an idea is you know why not have a campaign like hey everybody's gonna leave their bank at some time we're the bank that they go to when they leave well some comply we can't prove that they all go here and all this and and there are rules, and then there are, are guidelines. And um, uh, the thing I say over and over and over is Tide cleans clothes. There's a definite implication or nudging towards an inference that no one else does when Tide says Tide cleans clothes. But it's all, all about keeping the main thing the, ma- the main thing. You could be that bank. The thing I would say is if you are going to be that bank and you are going to claim it, 
make it super easy for people to switch. Make that your mission. Knowing that the weight of all this goes towards commercial banking where larger deposits, um, larger loan uh, volume is, it feels kind of like we're talking about retail, which is still important. We have to have that base, especially if you're getting low-cost deposits. From a lot of banks, we'll get those from more rural or more individual deposits and then lend that out in larger markets. Um, you have to take care of those people. You have to keep that money. If you're a bank that could say, like, we're the bank that keeps our clients or say that at our bank, when you bank with us, you stay with us, like maybe that would invite more people to, you know, give the illusion of or not even the illusion, just the appearance of, of steadiness or say, like, switch now and you'll never have to switch again. For my Make part, the last change you have to. Yeah change for the last time. Uh, for, for my part, I would, I would offer a two-pronged encouragement. One, to develop and execute some mechanism by which to do exit interviews. And two, share it with us because I'm very interested to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'd love to hear um, your thoughts, add your thoughts to ours. I mean, that's the great thing about concentrating in banking as we've done for the last several years is being able to take thoughts from from different applications, non-competing banks, and and use that. That's what the where this thought comes from. You don't have to be a customer of ours or a client of ours to share your thoughts. I'd love to hear from you. I mean, don't share anything that's proprietary, I guess, or do. Love to hear from you at um, maybesagency.com. You can fill out the ready to talk. That doesn't mean you're going to get a sales pitch. I am the chief sales officer, so uh, it's pretty apparent when somebody actually wants to work with us. You can just say that. But um, if you're sharing some information, I'd love to hear it. Until next time, um, visit MavisHC.com. Check out more of our blogs. Love the thought that we're sharing as we make our way through this industry as you do. You've been listening to the Bank Marketing Blogcast, brought to you by Mabus Agency. Check us out online at mabusagency.com.